0: Everybody, this is Gene Marks, and I'm here with my co-host John Adakonis, and welcome to the Hartford Small Biz Ahead Podcast. We've got a great guest that's joining us, John today. His name is also John. John Davis. John is the president and CEO of Paul Davis Automation. First of all, um, you know, I'm going to start with with my question, and it's an easy one. Tell us a little bit about what you do.
1: Sure. So uh, um, classical entrepreneurs um, uh, involved in, a, in several different businesses and different things. But the uh, mainline business, which is called Davis Automation, uh, we are a uh, high-tech manufacturers representative firm based out of Cleveland, Ohio. So what that means is that we work with a variety of uh, small to midsize and even some large manufacturers to help take their technical products. And apply it to applications here in Ohio and beyond to, um, in broad strokes, help people automate their factories or automate the processes. And on top of that, we're uh, involved in some other technology development of our own technology. So um, attempting to make that and sell that, and there's a very interesting economy we're in right now.
2: Awesome. I didn't realize you were in Cleveland. That's actually one of my favorite
1: cities you know,
2: you're my new favorite guy. I, I like it. It's a great city. <laughs> I, I, am, I am a fan of the, the, what was it? The hashtag. This is Clee Cleveland clothing company. One of my favorite stores. Um, I, I did some event work at, with house of blues out there. Um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great city and, and a miraculous kind of story of how with the right partnership between private and, and public sector, you can really bring back a business community, but it, but an awesome place.
1: It's a great story indeed. And uh, Cleveland Clothing Company is another great company. I'm friends with the owner of it and uh, they've just done tremendously. So great, great company and a great story there too.
0: John, I got to ask, like, who is Paul Davis? I'm going to make the assumption that this is some type of a relative of yours.
1: He, it is yes. So uh, he is um, uh, he is my dad. So uh, you can insert your jokes about you know second generation business here, but uh, or second generation business owner here. But uh, I did buy the business from them about oh about twelve years ago now. So I've been involved. So they started the company back in uh, 1989 in a um, similar type of role, but it certainly has changed over time.
0: But your dad is quite happy. He's not in the business now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he, he is yes.
0: <laughs> that, that I would believe. So so you were talking about some sort of technology developments, and and one of the reasons that I, we wanted to talk to you about is about you know is about e-commerce and and bringing your business online. and you guys do, like technical sales. And what caught my attention is that that's not like the kind of business that going online. It's not like you know Amazon merchants do what you do. So what is, what's your thinking about going
1: online, and, and are you still heading in that direction? I, oh, man, I, there's a, a long answer and a short answer. So the, the short answer is yes, and then the, the long answer, uh, I'll try to keep, um, keep short for time's sake. Generally, what we sell, it's a, it's a highly consultative sale. And um, what that means is we're working with engineers on a specific design for a machine, let's say. So there's a lot of back and forth and information sharing. It's um it's not transactional at all. It's uh, hey we have this need and then we have a basket of products that we can apply to it to to fit that need. Uh, when it comes to taking that online, it's it's difficult in two ways. You can look at it from an online perspective of the sales perspective. So switching from in-person meetings to virtual meetings. And then there's the other side of it, which is the the e-commerce side of uh, how do we sell these products um, in an e-commerce platform, or or is that how even people want to buy them uh, through some type of e-commerce platform? The virtual meeting side of it is, is complex. Uh, we're still finding a need and, you know, we wear all the appropriate PPE and take the appropriate, uh, precautions. But sometimes you just need to go out and see something that's physical if you're trying to apply something physical to it. Um, so we try to do as much as we can virtually. And, um, I'm sure you're in the same boat with your business, but everybody has gotten a crash course in how to do virtual meetings. And, uh, I think we're better now than we were 60 days ago, but. Oh my gosh. There's still a long way to go there. Um, So uh, that side, we're we're certainly getting there. As far as e-commerce, the products that we sell, they can be um, very inexpensive, but more often uh, than not, they're very expensive. And there's some complicated uh, sales channel uh, aspects of that. And You know, we're trying to sort through that. But the long and the short of it is, people are working from their homes now, um, increasingly, and I think that's going to stay. And if they need to purchase products, they probably want to do it through some type of e commerce platform for convenience sake. So we're still navigating through that as well.
2: Like, how were most people finding you before, or as as you think about pivoting? Like, what do you think that kind of next step for you guys is to to establish yourself online? Um, Because it feels like this is the type of product or service that, that someone would probably be very specific in their journey and in in investigating
1: that is the thing that's top of mind right now is uh how do we stay in front of people and uh how do we let them know that we have this basket of products to sell them so traditionally that would have been done by if you think of an in-person meeting we we have clients that we meet with on a regular basis and they tell us some new projects in person and we would sit around a conference table and figure out what we're going to do Now, as uh, we all experience when we buy stuff on Amazon, um, the first instinct of somebody nowadays is not to pick up the phone and call somebody. The first instinct is to go to Google or whatever your search engine of choice is and type in what you need. And generally, the first uh, search result or the first three that pop up are what you look at, trying to kind of get in the middle of that and uh, intercept that and get it to our company is is tough. I mean, we're, we're a small business, but we partner with a lot of very large businesses. And I would say... 50% of our large businesses have significant SEO and online presence. And that does help filter um, sales leads, if you will, down to us. But as far as our small company, uh, Paid search and SEO are very expensive uh, things, so we're still trying to navigate through that and figure out how to best apply that.
0: Yeah, I've got I've, – I mean, John, I've got the same experience, you know, with that as well in my business. Like, we we resell some some CRM products, you know, customer relationship management. And um, all the paid search, don't you find it it's dominated by the companies that you represent? So, uh, you know, I mean, if people are doing searching online, um, they're, they're finding those companies first, and you are like – way, 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 way down. And, and, and then if you're going to jump into the world of paying on your own, I mean, it's an absolute fortune to, to try, you know, to do stuff with like Google AdWords, Um, not only the cost for the advertising, but also it's almost as if you have to pay somebody to just constantly be monitoring it and testing it and working on it. So, you know, do you, how how have you been dealing with that? I mean, I, I'm almost ready to give up on search engine optimization and just try and get leads from other ways. You know what
1: I mean? Yeah, I mean, that that's pretty much what um, <laughs> I, I hate to say it's the strategy we've adopted, but uh, from our company standpoint, I, the paid search route is, is a challenging one. I, I just don't see the ROI on it. What we have been doing uh, is we've been really pushing the marketing teams of the companies that we partner with and saying, all right this is specifically what we need and these are the type of conversations we need to be having with people and thankfully they've all been receptive I mean, most of the companies that we work with are uh, just tremendous partners and they're trying to navigate all of this uh, abrupt shifts in how we do business um just as we are so they're eager to listen to feedback and i think the processes that we've put in place with some of them have been um have been good so far and uh, uh now, I should say too they they have also gone away from search engine uh, paid search, and they've been putting a lot more money into targeted uh, i guess targeted social media for lack of a better term, but specifically linkedin um, that that's been a good payback for us.
0: Well, that brings up a really good point so john John A, I mean, what are your thoughts on LinkedIn marketing? I was talking to some SEO consultant recently, and he was saying to me, you know, hey, you know." You're right about paid search and, and even just organic search. It's it's dominated by others, um, but but there's opportunities to you know to get leads and expand your business on LinkedIn. And um, what do you think about that, John John A?
2: Yeah, so I think I think two things. So one, I, I feel like LinkedIn can be a, an investment, right? So the the benefit is you have a really well qualified base. So you don't often have information. So with LinkedIn, you can pretty much get in front of the people that you're trying to get in front of in a B2B environment in a way that's really difficult to do um, without significant kind of like data overlays or investments in, in broader channels, right? I think um, where there's an opportunity that a lot of people don't take advantage of on LinkedIn, and, and even when we're thinking about SEO strategy is content marketing, right? So one of the best ways to kind of show up and rank on those keywords is to be talking about it. Um, So whether that's a blog on your website or or picking a couple folks from, you know, your company and kind of almost setting yourself up as a, an influencer in your space, like that to me feels like an untapped market for most B2B marketers, but like anything, right, you, you have to keep doing it. Um, So if you're, if you're doing it once a week, you have 52 shots of success of, you know, if you want to call going viral, where if you can commit to doing it two or three times a week, um, you, you just increase those odds and increase the, the amount of people who might interact and hopefully the, the ranking of people who are interacting in, in a more favorable way so we can get content put in front of people like them. So I do think it's a big opportunity, um, but it's just as much... To Big Commitment.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the Hartford. When the unexpected strikes, the Hartford strikes back for over 1 million small business customers with property, liability, and workers compensation insurance. Check out the Hartford Small Business Insurance at theHartford.com. John Davis, are you generating content? Are you, I mean, listen, I mean, no offense, but the stuff that you guys are going to write about is not exactly going to make the front page of the New York Times, you know, but <laughs> at the, but at the same time, you've got an audience of people that would probably be interested in technical advice um, on using the products that you have. Are you Are you doing anything
1: like that? Uh, we've dipped our toe in and uh, Johnny uh, has hit the nail on the head. Content creation is... Um, is the i think paid search and and some of the other things that are extremely expensive from a uh, money standpoint content creation you can be a star at content creation and the uh the cash outlay for it can be pretty low now the the side the other side of that is the time outlay and and for a small business owner that is um sometimes uh, more of an issue than the uh than necessarily the cash outlay but yeah i mean one of my most popular linkedin posts i i did it uh probably about a month ago now uh, was a video that I put together uh, where I spent maybe overall time, 10% was maybe spent on the product I was talking about. 90% of it was spent on a compelling story about a tool restoration that I did. My my grandfather was a farmer and I took an old bench vice of his and restored it and did kind of a um, you know artsy video about it. Uh, people I work with, they're very hands-on people. They're engineers and maintenance people and so they like to see stuff and they, they like tools. I'll tell you what, that video got a ton of views and I got a huge amount of feedback on that, uh, all of which was positive and uh, even some good customer interactions and leads out of it. And the surprising thing was it had very little to do with what I was actually selling. So um, now the downside is I've only done one. They take a tremendous amount of time. And I have a brand new respect for people who do this full time on YouTube, let's say. But we're definitely looking forward to doing more of those in the future.
0: John A., do you have any advice for for John Davis about doing videos, just some sort of best practices and things if you were in his shoes and you wanted to step that up?
2: Yeah, so I think, I mean, video creation is one of those things that's... uh, it's kind of like the black box, right? Everyone feels like there's a secret formula to it. And, and I don't know if that's true. I think it's more on, you know, and I think, John, you mentioned this, it's it's what story are you trying to tell? And, and is that resonating? So, you know, if you're really trying to kind of sit down and share a personal story, it, it probably doesn't have to be a highly produced thing, right? You could probably be done on your phone and, you know, you want some decent level of lighting. So maybe if it's something you want to commit to, you, you stop at like a Best Buy or a local lighting store and you get something like a ring light or a soft light so you can make sure that people can actually experience you in a way where they're not distracted. Um, But I think super simple things, you know, don't worry about a a complex edit. Um, Like quick cuts can really be an effective way to, to kind of keep continuity. I think, you know, if it's something where you're narrating, um, you you don't want to be scripted, but take the time to think through your talking points. So you're really having a conversation. And I would say kind of try and not think, think of the camera, but think of the person behind of it, behind it rather. So if you're, if you're really speaking to someone that comes across and i think there's really interesting examples of that online and and it's funny you kind of bring up youtube because i think you know there you can see the range of people who you can spend they just they spend a ton right and you can just tell there's a crew and there's stunts and there's all these flashy edits and there's intros and outros and music beds and you can't follow along because you're so distracted with the the showmanship that there's really no no message to take away and then you get people who just sit in front of a camera and talk to you like they're your best friend and and you feel like you're having a conversation and you know the production quality is good right they took the time to get the right setup and make sure you can see them and, and again you're not distracted by kind of inconsistent filming executions but it's really not a, a heavy lift for them you know it's more just making sure that they take the time to to deliver the message so i think authenticity is key and i think don't get too up in um in the splash right it's really about the story versus kind of the the cover of
0: the book john a what are your thoughts on um you know employing outsiders to help john davis it doesn't have to be an expensive production firm i mean it could be a a college kid you know what i mean that's a marketing student that's just that's just great with you know taking videos
2: yeah i think especially when you're talking about creative kind of projects there tends to be a, a really good talent pool of um you know, to your point of either a college kid or someone starting out who's trying to kind of build a portfolio, who's probably super capable, especially when you're thinking about digital delivery, right? Because these people grew up in that. It's what they do every day. Like every person, I'd say under the age of 25, grew up as a content creator, um, you know, just kind of in a world of social media. So they, they innately get it. Um, and I think, you know, they can it doesn't require kind of a, a level of technical expertise the way it used to, to, to pull off something pretty impressive. Um, but I think it's also something you can do yourself, right? If you, if you invest in a little bit of equipment, so the right light, a, a tripod, um, kind of dedicated a space. If it's something where you're going to kind of be more narrating and on camera, I think if it's something to your point where it's more technical and you you have objects, you want someone with a creative eye who can kind of help you bring that together and, um, You know, depending on the scope, that might require a more significant investment. But if it's really just you sharing your thoughts on an industry or topic or a story, um, I think yeah, a self-driven or a one-person show could definitely kind of get that across pretty, pretty efficiently.
0: So, John Davis, um, you know, just pivoting a little bit, you were talking about considering selling stuff online. I mean. I mean, again, I don't think this is the wrong way. I mean, I'm just looking at your business. I mean, what what could you sell online? You know what I mean? I mean, is is, is that really a viable thing to consider, or do you think that it's it's um, you know you you have the type of B two B
1: business that wouldn't wouldn't be really great for e commerce? I I think it depends on the product type and uh, how the how the end user is, is used to buying things. In, in our world, and I'm, I'm sure you experienced this with, with products you've been involved with, uh, certain things are very straightforward in how they're sold. And, and that makes sense, right? We would all assume that if somebody needs something, they would just go buy it. But when we start uh, dealing with larger companies or working with larger companies, uh, there's typically some type of channel involved for commercial reasons that are complex, that uh, have to do with rebate programs or, um, or whatever. They, they just have some reason that they need to buy through a third party whether it's an integrator or a distributor or a reseller or whatnot. And uh, for those companies, buying online is less of an attractive option uh, because it just doesn't give them any, any benefit. They're getting some clear uh, return on investment from from purchasing through their channel. That's why those contracts and relationships are in place. All that said, there is the, um, and I don't have a, a good delineator for this. I, I think it's on a per product basis for for certain products that are, uh, maybe at the intersection of cost and configurability, There, if your competitors are already selling online, which we have many that are, if we are not also selling online, that does put us at a competitive disadvantage. So our charge right now, and this is something we've been going through, um, but it's just been accelerated by, by COVID-19, uh, is to figure out what products in our portfolio uh, sit in that uh, that intersection. And making sure that those have some type of path to sell online and uh, uh, the ones that are outside of that just making sure that the sales channels in place so it's a it's a complex answer gene and uh, you're you're right um, for certain things but for other things i I do think we need to have those products online
0: so john a what what thoughts do you have for john davis about selling online i mean what what would you be focused on if you were him well i think he kind of nailed it right that there's going
2: to be this kind of level of comfort and everybody's going to be at a different journey. So I think, you know, it's kind of balancing out. Is it, is it really like a lead gen type play where you're just trying to kind of capture and bring those people into a conversation because maybe there's a level of complexity? Um, Is it something where they can really purchase or is it something where if they're, you know, to your point, kind of an existing customer with different projects, maybe after the first sale, you kind of think about, um, you know, those, those few sure and upsell opportunities in a platform where they can kind of self-select. But what's interesting is it's almost kind of a hybrid of like online service system where you're looking for products. So, so it's an interesting dynamic, but I don't think it it's impossible, right? And I think we've learned that out of COVID is that people have been really, really innovative with how they've digitized their business. And I think of everyone from, you know, local gym owners who decided to rent out their equipment or do virtual classes to even bakeries who had to shut down, who were in-person only, but figured out how to kind of launch recipe boxes. Um, so I think if there's a will or a way. But I, I think, John, you're exactly right. It's kind of getting under who the audience is and, and figuring out what their level of comfort is so you can kind of develop an experience that matches that.
1: Yeah, John, you raised a really no, good point to the, um, the the hybrid side of it for marketing. Just a, a quick bit on that. That's probably one of the more innovative uh, paths forward that I've seen from the manufacturers we're working with. So especially for the manufacturers where there's those complex uh, channel and commercial uh, contracts or obligations in place, they would never be able to sell everything online 100% because it would quite literally destroy the, um, the foundation of their their business with going through all these different channels, but one of the needs that is currently being unmet that they're trying to figure out is: all right, they're they're spending a lot of money on marketing, whether it's SEO, paid search, LinkedIn, whatever. They know that they get leads in, but once they send those out, there's really no way to close it because there's no um, uh, there's no uh, conversion where somebody goes online and they they buy the product and they can tie that back to a lead and marketing spend what they have been doing from a hybrid standpoint is doing uh, like a, like a sample program online. So the call to action is for the customer to buy a sample. So that will close the lead. And then they can still take that customer and run them through the traditional sales channel. And, we're just starting to do that with some of the products that we sell. And that that is very exciting. I, I think there might be something to that to try to satisfy both worlds, both sides of the equation.
2: What's really interesting, too, is I think, you know, you're you're in an industry where I'm assuming every single solution is, is hyper-customized. It could even be something outside of like a sample or a trial where it's like, hey, let us do a, like a scan or an analysis of your needs and take the time to really kind of get to know what you're working on, where... Where it's almost like a consultative meeting, but if, you, if there's things you've identified in your time and your expertise, you know, kind of over the years in the business and say, like, these things, and we know so much about them, are going to allow us to design a product or offer or solution for, for you, um, you know, I think you definitely have an ability there to kind of stand out as a, as a true partner, which is probably important in, in your line, especially if it's really kind of a long tail and renewal type sales process.
0: Great conversation. Uh, John Davis you know is the CEO of Paul Davis Automation president and CEO of Paul Davis Automation in Cleveland. and John, uh, you know I, I hope some of these thoughts help you as you're figuring out how do you expand your business online. I think you've got a lot of challenges there, but a lot of opportunities and I like your hybrid approach um, to that. And I like the fact that getting people in to maybe make a small purchase, um, if anything, just to sort of sort of grab them, convert the lead, and then maybe build it into something bigger. I like you know you focusing more on on doing some videos for your company, uh, making more content for your company, uh, maybe focusing on LinkedIn a little bit more. And then, of course, leveraging some virtual tools like you had mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation for uh, meetings and 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 having conferences and, and at least getting some information across all of these things. There's no, I mean, obviously, John, there's no silver bullet for just selling online. It's a combination of different weapons that you can use to try and close that deal. So, um, John, I want to thank you very much for coming on. I think your information was really helpful. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, thanks for joining us and um, have fun in my favorite city.
0: <laughs> on behalf of yeah, Johnny DeCurnis, uh this yes. is Gene Marks. And for more tips and advice on running a small business, please visit us at Small Visit Head. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks again to John and John for participating, and we'll catch you all next time.